Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined this morning by Susan Solovic. And Susan is, uh, she's calling us actually from Las Vegas. And uh, Susan is a journalist. She is an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker and author and um, known as a small business expert. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Susan. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to be on your program. I, I have a lot of questions for you, and you, you wear many, many hats. But um, as we always do on my program, I want to start out learning uh, a little bit about you and your background. And I'd love to hear about your years growing up in Fredericktown, Missouri. Oh, yes. Well, let me tell you, that was an interesting um, Upbringing. It's a very small town in southern Missouri. Um, right now, probably when I was growing up, the population was right around uh, 3,000. I don't think it's changed since I left. Maybe it's 2,999 now since I left. <laughs> but um, it was a, a very small town, and it had actually the highest illiteracy rate in the state of Missouri when I was growing up there. And you know, not a lot of role models of people who had escaped that kind of environment and left and gone on to do other things. And I remember my mother and father uh, owned a small business in the town, and they didn't have any education. And all they said was, you know, you, you don't want to live your life like we have. You've, you've got to go get a good education, and you've got to um, get out of here. And that's certainly something I wanted, too. And I realized the importance of education. And But I really uh, caught the entrepreneurial bug very young. I um, was waiting tables at a little steakhouse in this town and realized that waiting tables was hard work. And so I started my first business when I was 15 years old. And although I have a lot of corporate experience, um, it's always been my passion to start and grow businesses. And I love figure, always love figuring out ways to make money. You, well, you know what, you answered what my next question, which really was about you know, what kind of motivated your, your desire to be an entrepreneur. And, and not only that, you, you're a very high-achieving woman, and um, you've done so many different things um, throughout your career. Um, I wondered if that was always your aspiration. As a young girl, um, did you always feel that you were going to kind of pave your own way? I, you know, I don't know that I ever thought of it in those terms because, once again, I didn't have any mentors and I didn't have any role models, but I always had this sense that I knew I didn't want to live like I could see people living around me or even as, 
my parents, although they did as much for me as they could and with the means that they had. Um, and so I always thought growing up um, as a little kid, now understand this is from a little kid's uh, mindset, mm-hmm. I always thought I want to be rich and I want to be famous. And those were <laughs> the two things that would drive me. And I knew that coming from where I was that I was going to have to work harder and really um, you know, make sure that I took advantage of all the educational opportunities I could and, and just try and push and to work harder than probably most people. So uh, I was always willing to be that one that was always to go the extra mile or to take on the extra responsibilities. Yeah. Now, you, um, for the listeners, you um, were Miss Missouri back in, I guess, was it in the 70s, 79? Yes, that's correct. Yes. I was. And did you... And actually... I, you know, I, I entered pageants because um, I needed the scholarship money because I was working my way through through school, and um, I happened to be a classical pianist, so I had a talent. And while I had music scholarships and some academic scholarships, they didn't cover everything. Mm-hmm. So I took that opportunity to uh, to get this scholarship. What I didn't realize was it was also really an interesting basis for learning how to market a business or market your brand because when I went to Atlantic City for the competition for Miss America, uh, Miss Missouri had never been in the top ten. They never had a woman make that cut. And the press congregates there to cover the pageant, and as you're arriving, the press announces who they think the winners are going to be. So I, I always say it's like being in a horse show. You know, they predict the win, place, and shows, and then they have the, just the list of also-rans. Well, Missouri was kind of in the bottom of the list of also-rans. And I thought, you know, they don't know me. They don't know anything about me. So I started really trying to get the attention of the media and telling my story, why I wanted to be Miss America, what I could bring to the table, who I was. And by the end of the two weeks of competition, the press had picked me to win. Now, I didn't win. I was third runner-up. But I went from being and also ran to third runner-up. And I thought at that moment I realized, you know, it's so important that you speak up and that you ask for opportunities, that you tell your story. And I also recognized the power of the media and how important it is to be able to use the media to be able to tell your story and to build your brand credibility. Yeah, that's real. Wow. You know, you figured that out at a young age. Right. Yes, I did. I could I could see how powerful they were. And although probably I didn't know how to articulate it at that age, you know, as as I reflected back on it and saw what I did and what the outcome was, it's a perfect example. And what I tell people now today when I speak to groups is, you know, it's so much easier to leverage media today than it was even, um, you know, 10 years ago, for all that matters. I mean, I had an um, advertising and PR agency back in the late 80s. And, I mean, I thought we were cool when we got a fax machine and you could fax a press release to someone. Right. You know, you pretty much had, you know, your traditional media. You had uh, terrestrial radio. You had regular broadcast television. You had newspapers. You had magazines. But today, my goodness, with the Internet, I mean, really, a business owner can become their own powerhouse publishing company to build that brand expertise uh, in their industry. And it's much easier to attract the media's attention because you have so many venues and ways to do that. That's right. And, you know, there's such a a difference, obviously, between uh, in today's world with being able to reach such a mass audience. And I, I wondered what your take is when you're speaking to entrepreneurs um, and you're talking about social media in particular. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Do you find, what types of things do you, um, do you advise in social media as far as what is going to be effective and what is just going to be, you know, kind of putting out information that's not going to be very strategic? Well, you know, the one thing I find is, and, and it kind of depends on age, but um, I find there's still a lot of reluctance about social media. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't really work, it's just fluff. And then I tell them, I give them really solid examples of how, for example, on Twitter, I have ga- engaged major brands and have gotten business 
just by engaging them on Twitter and being active on Twitter and setting myself up as a, a credible expert. And then the light bulb starts to go off, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. So I think, you know, the thing that people look at with social media is they look at it as an opportunity for immediate gratification. So they're looking at it as a sales tool. Oh, if I put this out there, I'm going to get new leads, I'm going to get new customers, people are going to buy from me. That's not how it works. It's a long-term investment in developing relationships Mm -hmm. and establishing your credibility as an expert and a resource. So you have to be authentic. You have to truly participate. So, you know, you don't just put a posting up once a week and, you know, hope somebody notices. You really have to participate, and you have to be willing to share and give before you get back. So I'm constantly posting really good, relevant content that my audience would enjoy or find helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, some of it's my content, some of it's content from other sources that I find really beneficial and helpful. Um, You know, if one of my uh, audience members, followers, you know, peeps, whatever you want to call them, post something that I find interesting, I'm going to share that with my audience. I'm going to, you know, repost it or I'm going to retweet it. And so those are the things that I do. And then people reciprocate back. And pretty soon, you know, you've engaged and you've built this relationship sort of as you might if you met someone at a networking meeting and then you said, hey, let's grab coffee or, you know, you share an interesting article that you found with them via email or, you know, you start to build that relationship. It is absolutely no different. It just happens to be in cyberspace instead of face-to-face. Right, exactly. It always comes back to relationships, doesn't it? It really does, right, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I've been, I was an early adapter in social media, and a couple of years ago, I was getting ready to speak before um, a policy hearing on Capitol Hill. And it was a morning meeting, and I arrived, not late, but the meeting, everybody else had gone into the hearing room, and um, I was coming in, and they had some, like, oh, you know, bagels and fruit and coffee set out in front of the room. And I went over to get my first cup of coffee, and this lady is standing there getting some food to take into the room. And she looks up, and she's like, oh, Susan, hello. And she comes over and gives me a big hug. And she says, how are you? How's your new book doing? How are your dogs? You know, and she's asking me all these questions. And I looked at her, and I said, forgive me. I said, I know we're, you know, you're out of context for me, and I haven't even had my first cup of coffee. I just can't place you. And she laughed, and she said, oh, honey, you don't know me. I just follow you on Twitter. <laughs> Sometimes that can be a little unnerving, I think. It, it can because, you know, I think, oh, brother, you know, I'm getting old. I can't remember who this is. Right, right. Well, no, it is. It's so interesting that, you know, people can know so much about our lives and we have never met. So I guess it's important right, to make right. sure, you know, what you're putting out there is only information you would want strangers to know. Oh, oh, that is so, so true. Uh, I see people posting things and it, I just cringe. You know, and sometimes it's people I know pretty well. Like, for example, a younger woman I know who works for a very large CPA firm. And she likes to have her cocktails. And I see some things that she'll post, like, I'm bored at work, you know, who's ready to go hit the bar? Or one day (laughs) she was at some sort of a seminar or conference for her company, and she was out of town. And she's like, okay, this is boring. I'm blowing it. I'm going to go hit the bar. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what if her employer sees this? Right. And, you know, I almost, like, sent her a private message and said something. And I thought, oh, Susan, it's not your place. Stay out of it. But those are the kinds of things that come back to haunt you. So if you don't want it broadcast all over the national news media and and on a billboard on the most trafficked highway in the world, don't put it out there. That's right. Right. That's a, that's a great rule of thumb. Um, yes, absolutely. Susan, I was really impressed with reading your, your background, and um, I'm not sure the year, but you founded Small Business Television. And if I'm correct, this was um, a, an online digital program? Yes, it was. It was one of the first video sites on the Internet. And our, our dream was to put television on the Internet. And so at that time, um, 
when you went on to watch video, it was very, very primitive. You had to know exactly your modem speed. You had to know whether, you know, your whatever kind of player you had to watch video in. And it would come up in a tiny little square, and it would freeze frame a lot. So it wasn't very fun to watch video. And when we bought the domain name, sbtv.com, um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be so cool. It's going to be right up my alley. I love small business. I've been in marketing all my life. I've been a lawyer. I've helped businesses build, um, and I've had businesses myself, and I've been in television. I mean, how much more perfect can this be? And then I thought, uh-oh, I don't know anything about technology. <laughs> so I found a young man who um, was doing a lot of beta testing with Flash Video, and he was working for Disney on the side. He was working for Apple. Um, he was doing a lot of work with Comcast. And we sat down, and he started showing me all these beta designs and how he could make video come to life um, on the Internet. And so I hired him as a consultant, and eventually he came on as a, a, a partner. And he said, Susan, if you can envision it, I can build it. So we were quite a team. And at one point in time, we had the hottest, coolest video player on the Internet. We could stream. Now, understand, this was like in 2005. We could stream five hours of live video without any freeze frame or anything. Uh, it was cool, cool, cool technology. And we were going and growing, and we quickly became profitable um, and really like building a, a strong entity. And to, I, I ended up, we, we went through the venture capital process. Um, I grew the business to about $3.5 million, and that was at the end of 2009. And then we had brought in another partner as well, and my, the three of us could not agree on the direction. I had my ideas. The two of them were outvoting me, and I basically said, look, either it's going to be my way or I'm out of here. And they didn't believe me. And so I, at the beginning of 2010, I exited the business, and they took it over, and they ran it into the ground. So sad story, but I had a good ride and had a great time with it. Yeah, well, you know what? You really took a risk doing that, I think, you know, um, at a time when, when uh, everything about digital was really brand new. Oh, it was. It was. It was very new. And, you know, I really thought I just had this sense, um, had no idea it was going to become what it is. But I did have this sense that you could easily watch television on the Internet, whether it originated on the Internet or originated in traditional broadcast. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't foresee that, oh, my gosh, we'd be also watching it on our mobile devices and all these other things. Right. But I really couldn't understand why you couldn't make the transition between the computer and the television. It seemed to me like a, a, a perfect partnership there or marriage between the two entities. Mm -hmm. So we were, you know, a little ahead of our time. Um, like I said, I, I got out at the height of the business. Uh, we disagreed on the direction, and I knew I could go start another business and make money, and it wasn't worth the toxic environment to stay and try to fight for something that, um, you know, I was basically outnumbered on. And sadly, I think now if they looked back on it, they would say, gosh, I wish we'd gone the way Susan said. But, you know, hey, that, that's yesterday's news, right? It that's is right. What it is. That's right. You know, uh, it brings me to my to my next question, which really uh, was about, you know, a, a disappointment or I guess a failure. You, you know, that certainly wasn't a failure. But I was wondering what disappointment happened in your life, in your career, which has been many, many different twists and turns, that you learned the most from? Would it have been that experience? Well, I learned a lot from that experience. And I'll say, you know, when I left, when I walked out of the business and said, okay, you know, you guys just get your investors, buy me out, I'm done. It was still hard on me personally because it was my baby. It was my dream. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel that way about their businesses. You know, it was your idea, you started it, you nurtured it, just like a child. And, you know, to, to make that decision to sever that relationship for me was personally hard, mm -hmm. although intellectually and from a business perspective, it was the smart and right move to make. Um, and, you know, all my advisors and lawyers and everything said yes, you know, you're doing the right thing. And I knew I, I would start something new and great. 
But it took me a good year and a half, I think, to get over the personal and emotional detachment. So I really sort of floundered for a little while. I, you know, I was doing things here and there, and but my heart wasn't in it. And then finally I turned the corner and I said, okay, enough of this pity party season. You know, you had a great ride. You did something amazing. Um, now go do something else and, and hit it out of the park again. And so I had, it, you know, you have to refocus. And I do think that was, that was a big heartache. And, you know, you, you work with people for so long and you build something and your partners and you just hate to see that dissension in the group. But it's also not uncommon. And I warn people, you know, when you go into partnerships, it can be the best of the best, and it can be the worst of the worst. And in my situation, I had both. You know, we worked together really well for a while, and then dissension broke out as we got bigger and, you know, began to bring in more employees and all of that. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't always work out. And so you have to understand that when you're in business, and you have to make those decisions. So I think that was probably one of the hardest things I ever went through was, was being able to let go of my baby. Yeah. Um, Susan, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what your next step was. We'll be right back with okay. Susan Solovic. Hello. Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one -on -one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hardy har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the city of life. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined uh, by phone with Susan Solovic. And Susan is the small business expert. Um, She's actually joining us uh, by phone from Las Vegas. And um, just before the break, Susan, we were talking about um, your experience uh, with the launch of SBTV and back in 2010, um, it it folded, I guess. And I was uh, wanted to find out a little bit about your next step, what your next venture was after that. Yeah, so it, it really didn't fold, Sue, in 2010. Um, I don't think they they closed the business until about 2014. I just until earlier this year, actually. Um, I just exited the business and left it to my partners and their investors that okay. they brought in. Right. So um, I so I left, and um, I was actually in the process at that time anyway of writing a new book. So I completed that book, and it came out in 20. Um, 2011, I guess, mm-hmm. which is called It's Your Biz, and it made the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, um, top 10 uh, business books, and then it was also number three on the Amazon Top 100 list. So the book did really well. So I did like the whole book tour and all of that with the with the book, uh, which kept me very very busy. And then um, you know I've, I'm a really a professional speaker, so I started proactively marking myself as a speaker, uh, going to organizations and events that have a small business audience. And and then I began doing consulting, having worked in developing content and built so much traffic and et cetera on the web for small business television that I consult with a lot of major brands now who are building out websites and very helpful websites to um, attract small businesses and help them build their entities and enterprises. And then just recently I started realizing that I could actually reach out and help uh, many small businesses who are growing um, build their business dreams by doing that more directly via the Internet. So later this summer, actually, I'm going to launch the Small Business Expert Academy, and that will be sort of a 24-7 video-based virtual mentoring website for small businesses. So you can come on, you can pick topics, you can um, listen to me talk about them, and then there's actually an interactive part. So you answer questions, and then the way you answer the question will take you to other content. So I sort of walk you through virtually um, with this process, and I'm really excited about it because I think that it will will help a lot of people who are at that kind of crossroads, like what do I do next? They can't afford to go out and hire the real resources they need to get there. So I'll sort of be there helping them even though I'm not there in person. Mm-hmm. That's a great, great idea. You know, there there seems to be an explosion right now, I would say, of not only entrepreneurs, but female entrepreneurs. Um, I, I think that there, you know, the capabilities that we do have now with the Internet uh, might be one of the reasons. But um, I wanted to know what your take on that is, why we're seeing so many women um, today starting their own businesses. Well, I think a lot of it has to do, and this this has been true for quite some time now, is that the traditional career paradigm, you know, the go in early, stay late, build your career, work like crazy, um, that paradigm isn't working for women because usually those years that you're building your career, you're climbing the corporate ladder, you're trying to make partner in a law firm or a CPA firm, those are also your prime childbearing years. So it just doesn't, it's not conducive to your lifestyle. So with being in business for yourself, it doesn't mean that women are working fewer hours or they want to hit the easy button. It's simply that they're working hours that are conducive to their lifestyle. 
So, and with technology today, you know, you can work from anywhere at any time. So, you know, I actually, when my husband and I go on vacation, none of my clients ever know I'm even on vacation because I take my technology with me and, you know, I'm always in touch, I'm on top of things, and it's, it's easy for me to manage those expectations from wherever I am. So I think that it really has a lot to do you know, with technology. And I, I think that I was actually on a panel, moderating a panel yesterday at this conference I'm attending here in uh, Las Vegas, and a lot of women were talking about you know, the challenges of balancing families, whether it's children or you're now into elder care or what the situation may be. Still, despite how equal we want to think we are, those responsibilities typically fall on women. So we need ways to be able to manage our lifestyle and build our financial success and our career success. So I think technology helps with that. Um, I also think that women are finding that there is less of a glass ceiling when you're in your in business for yourself. Now, when I say less of a glass ceiling, doesn't mean that there aren't issues and biases and particular obstacles that are nuances that are particular to women. But I think that there is less of a glass ceiling when you're out there on your own. That's absolutely true. And not only that, I think we have so much support today um, for women um, from many different you know, from many different areas, uh, whether it's within corporations, initiatives for, you know, helping women or women's networking groups. Why do you think we're seeing so many firsts today for women? So many firsts. I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure. I oh, well, you know, I think for the first time we're seeing women in um, CEO positions and, and top spots that have never um, happened before. And um, I- I'm wondering why you think that is? Well, I think that, you know, we're finally uh, starting to wake up and recognize, first of all, the value of having diversity within organizations. So, you know, you can't have a white male top-heavy organization anymore because you're missing out on a whole pool of resources and, and thoughts and experiences that you know, are, are an important dynamic to making good decisions. I think if you look at board, uh, you know, corporate boards who have at least one woman on the board of directors, you find that their performance tends to be better than boards without that dynamic. But I also think that we're becoming more accepted. So it hasn't been a revolution for women. It has been an evolution for women to come up to be able now to be seen in those roles. I'll, I'll give you an example. If you can't visualize something, then it's hard to accept it. So I remember when my friend, her daughter, she was a real successful Wall Street um, attorney, and her daughter was studying U.S. presidents in, in school. And she came home one day from school, and she said, you know, Mommy, a woman can't be president. And her mom said, why is that? Well, there's never been one. So, you know, you look at that in such an innocent statement, but if you can't see it and if you've never seen it, it's really hard to accept it. So I think as women have chiseled away at that glass ceiling and they've made one step and then they've gone up a little higher and they've gone up a little higher, what we're seeing as what you're calling first are really just sort of those little inches, those little breakthroughs that women have been making over the last 20, 25 years. That's right. There's a lot, definitely a a lot of mentors out there for women. There's always been. And I think that sometimes, you know, those stories just were never told. Um, Women were were making strides and, and it just wasn't being played out in the media. Right. That's exactly true. And, you know, I think that you look at the women who have been brought into the CEO positions, um, you, you know, when Carly Fiorina became CEO of HP, you know, she was under a microscope. Everything she did was, you know, I don't think, I think they dissected the way she crossed the street. You know, they don't do that with men. And I think there has been less of that as Michelle Mayer became CEO of Yahoo and Mary Barra became CEO of GM. Now, could be because, you know, of all the crisis she's having to deal with right, right. now that there's no time to do that. Right. Um, but I, I do believe there's a little less of that going on, which is good mm-hmm. because you should focus on their results 
and not, you know, how they brush their teeth or comb their hair. Right. You know, Susan, you certainly didn't, it doesn't appear to me that you struggled from any kind of lack of confidence. Um, I think it takes a lot of guts to um, continually change, um, you know, going after what you want to do. We should mention that you you also are an attorney. You went to law school. And um, I wonder if you can talk about what you think the one thing is that, that does hold women back when it comes to their career. Well, I think, first of all, let me address your issue about I don't lack confidence. Actually, when I was in the seventh grade, I was put in the class for the mentally challenged. And I was told the most I could ever hope for was a vocational education. And I'm adamant about not placing labels on people Mm -hmm. because that is so damaging. Because for so many years, I was the girl, and it was 7-5 was the class rank, you know, with 7-1 through 5, and I was in 7-5. And all my friends were in 7-1. And so I became the girl in 7-5. That mindset, I performed poorly in school. You know, I I just, that was me. And um, a, a high school counselor actually helped turn that around. But a lot of times when I go into settings, I easily find myself becoming that girl in 7-5, and I have to talk myself out of that. I have to tell myself, I have to remind myself of the things that I've done and where I've been and where I've gone so that girl doesn't win. So I think that a lot of people struggle with those things. Mm -hmm. You just have to understand that just because somebody has labeled you doesn't make it true. That's somebody else's agenda. That doesn't make it true. So that's one thing. Um, But secondly... um, and I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. I wanted to get that one. <laughs> well, I guess, there? you know, it. I think you answered it, actually. You know, we talk a lot in here about that self-talk. You know, we all have that, that right. self-talk in our head, no matter yeah. what we accomplish or how successful we are. And it kind of comes back. It creeps back in. And and maybe yeah, that's what holds. Go well, ahead. I also think what holds women back is there are a lot of societal expectations. So you feel obligated sometimes to live your life a certain way, whether it's the society or your family or your friends. Um, and, and so we do a lot of things because it's what we should do, not what necessarily what feels right for us. Right. So, for example, in this panel yesterday, we were talking about how sometimes women who are successful, um, you know, they get called the B word and, you know, there's a lot of uh, dislike or they, you know, sell, uh, other women want to sabotage that success. And I said it's a shame because we still get a lot of this sense, and, and the media kind of helps uh, perpetuate this, but this sense that women who are aggressive and ambitious and want to make money, that they're a villain or they're a vixen. And, they're, you know, it's not a flattering thing. And what we need to be able to help and start with young women is that it's okay to want to be financially successful and to be successful in your career and to have these things. And it's okay to talk about it. You don't have to hide those ambitions, that it's not unfeminine, that it's okay to, to, you know, to make money and to say, I want to make money. I think some of those things are what's holding women back. Certainly, I see that with women entrepreneurs. If you talk to them about building multimillion-dollar companies, they'll look at you and say, oh, well, I don't want to make a million dollars. And I say to them, you know, guess what? Just because your company is making a million dollars doesn't mean you're taking home a million dollars. It just means that you're beginning to get strong enough to hire people to buy the resources that you need to build a successful company. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting that you say that. I often feel when I'm speaking to women that they sometimes have um, guilt about the money aspect because they feel they should be, more importantly, doing something that makes a difference. Right, and, and that's, I think, those societal expectations. And, you know, what I explain to women is there's nothing wrong with making money. I love making money. And, you know, I think that as a woman today and having practiced law and done some domestic work, um, you need to recognize that at some point in your life you are going to be financially responsible for yourself and maybe your family. In fact, the average age of widowhood in this country is 57 years old. So if you think about taking care of your family 
and yourself, providing a roof over your head, not becoming a burden on other family members or something like that, mm-hmm. you have a duty to yourself and your family to build some financial wherewithal. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go out there and, you know, build an empire, but I'm saying that, you know, in divorce situations, um, I have seen women come to me and they've said, what am I going to do? I haven't worked outside the home in years. I still have kids in school. What am I going to do? And I, in Missouri, had to say to them, I don't know, because alimony is almost unheard of these days. So, you know, you might get some child support. Hopefully the guy's a stand-up guy and he's going to pay. But as a woman, you're going to have to figure out how to make it happen. And so, you know, I know it's not quite politically correct to say this, but, you know, I just, taking a little time off maybe when your children are young, but to sit back and not have some sort of career opportunities or some way to make money is a mistake for women today because you're, you're going to be responsible for yourself at some point in your life. That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, Susan, we're going to take one last quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806 or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined this morning by Susan Solovic. Uh, Susan Solovic is known as the small business expert. And we were talking about uh, a lot of the things that, that perhaps as entrepreneurs might hold women back um, in the work world today. And one of the things, Susan, you mentioned was was expectations. And I wonder how, um, you know, as someone successful as you um, and well-known, how do you deal with the expectations that are placed on you as a successful woman? You know, I think that one of the things that I do is recognize that, um, you know, not everybody's going to like what I do. Not everybody's going to agree with it. And I used to take a lot of those things personally. And I think that's true for a lot of women. I think we definitely take things much more personally than men do uh, in their careers and in the workplace. And I have finally learned at my age to sort of turn that off. So I do the best I do, can do. I deliver the best that I can deliver. And I just, you know, realize that there are always going to be people who are not satisfied with that. And I'll give you a great example of how this works. Um, I did a tour, a multi-city speaking tour for a company, and it was called Visions to Ventures for Women Entrepreneurs. Interestingly, there were three keynote speakers on this, this tour, myself and two men. And at the event, end of each of those events, the company would take surveys of, you know, how did you like it and get comments and rate each speaker and so on and so forth. And then they would send those to us. Well, I would pour through those surveys. And if somebody would say something negative about me, I was just, oh, my gosh, you know, I was crushed. And so one day we were in the green room on the, one of the tours, and I brought up the surveys, and I said, what do you guys think about the, um, the comments and all of that? And they looked at each other, and they said, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, we never read those things. <laughs> and I said, really? And they're like, yeah, because, you know, you've got one person who's sitting in a chair who absolutely thinks you're fantastic, and then somebody sitting next to you who thinks you suck, so, like, why bother? <laughs> That's it. The guys could care less. They didn't even read it. it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, You know, I do think there is one thing interesting, and I think this is true whether you're a woman or a man, but I think women probably more so, is, you know, when you're successful and you've done a lot in your career and you've forged your way, I think people think that you're really strong and, you know, that – geez, you know, you don't, you're not going to get your feelings sort of they say something to you or whatever. And, you know, what I would like to just let people know is, and I, and I do this myself with other people who are successful, no matter how successful you are, you still appreciate it if someone gives you a sincere compliment or they say, we really liked your work or you made a difference for me. For, for myself personally, those are, that's the psychic income that I you know, all the money in the world can't replace. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, realize that they have feelings too. So they're not so strong that, you know, a, a slight or a verbal indication, a verbal poke at them or, you know, it, they may not show it, mm-hmm. but it does, it, they do notice it and it does hurt. So, and I, you know, I've even seen that with my own family, um, uh, mostly with my husband's family. But, you know, they, they, there are obvious slights and things that they do. And, you know, and then they just will say to him, well, you know, she's so successful or she's this or she's that. Well, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt my feelings. And so I never say anything, never make an issue out of it. But I just, you know, people, I, you know, just 
recognize that. And the next time you say, well, I don't need to tell so-and-so they did a good job, recognize no matter how, how successful you think someone is, they appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's always, um, I think one of the things that helps us along the way always is is people in our life um, that do believe in us, and they're always kind right. of giving us that validation. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I gave a keynote yesterday, and afterwards I was in the ladies' room, and a woman came up to me and said she really liked my presentation, and and uh, she said, oh, I have just so many questions I'd love to ask you, but I know you're really busy, and, and I want to let you go. And I said, no, 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 please. And we stood there in the restroom and had a conversation about her business. And you know what? I loved that more than the keynote. You know, it was just it was fun. Um, you do a lot of speaking, Susan. And um, I wonder, when you're standing in front of a, a large group um, of women, and I know you, you speak in front of men as well, but what is it that you want from a group of women, the one thing you want them to, to walk away with? If you had to pick one lesson out of your, your keynotes and, and all of the advice that you give, is, is there one thing that you really want to resonate with them? You know, I, I really am trying to get across to people today, um, men and women, that there's a huge difference between creating a lifestyle business or an income stream for yourself and building a real business that has legs, that can stand on its own. And there is a lot of misunderstanding about that. And what happens is I see businesses that have been around for a while, and then the owner wants to exit that business for whatever reason, retire or maybe it's health or whatever it is, and they want to sell it or turn it over to someone else. But without that individual in the business, there is no business. And I think women tend to build these lifestyle businesses more than men, although men make that mistake too. So, you know, I really encourage them to think about where they would like to get 10 years from now. Where, not that you're, you're going to write this in concrete, but where, what would you like to see? Do you want to be the next uh, Martha Stewart? You know, do you really dream big and think about what would this business look like? Because once you sort of have that vision, then you can walk backwards and start realizing what are the building blocks I need to do and start doing today that will affect my ability to get to that level. And that's a very critical step when you're building a business. What are the important steps that I need to take today to get to that upper level? And most people don't do that. They take the steps that are easiest for them at the beginning, and then it's harder to make those critical growth steps as they get farther down the line. Right. I, I mean, it's always important to have goals, right? You know, rather than just kind right. of um, doing day to day. Is there anything, Susan, that you have not done yet and that you um, would like to do in the future? You know, I, I actually think at this point in my life, I am enjoying what I do. I love what I do. Um, you know, I do look forward to doing more speaking. So just, just note here, take your pencil down. If any of you are looking for a great speaker for a con- conference or convention, mm-hmm. you know, I hope you'll keep me um, in your thoughts uh, possibly for that. I enjoy that. I get a lot of energy from speaking. So I do hope that I get to do more of that. And I am looking forward to doing, um, the, using technology, working more one-on-one with business owners and their growth. Um, I'm not interested at this point in my life in building another big company. I do have another book in the works. Um, that'll probably be out in a year and a half or two, and it's going to be called Just a Noticeable Difference, How Small Changes Can Produce Big Results. And so I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm 56 years old, so you know I'm really at this point in my life looking at ways to help watch others succeed and flourish and and hopefully take some of the wisdom that I've learned the hard way uh, and help them really succeed and build their business dreams. Well, you're certainly at 56. I, I'd like to say you're ha- you're only halfway through. So, <laughs> oh, oh, please. I don't want to live that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's so funny that you say that. Um, you know, I think that there's probably you know, at, in our 50s, because I'm 50 myself, you know, and I tell my kids I'm only halfway through when they get concerned that I'm getting a little bit old. <laughs> we have a lot more to do. That's right. Well, you know, they say 50 is the new 30. So, you know, that's who right. Knows? That's right. 
what has been, you know, you've done television and you've written books. Um, and as you said, you, you, you do enjoy speaking. Um, do you, are you are still uh, contributing to some of the, um, the news programs? You know, I do a little, yes. Um, I used to have a, I was a contributor for ABC News for about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took me to New York. I had to be there every single week. Uh, and then I started doing some uh, work over on Fox, uh, Fox Business and Fox News. And their model is such that they also want you there in the studio, although sometimes, you know, they will pick me up from another city where I'm located. Um, I have not been in New York as much this this year because I've been traveling for business and speaking, which I love, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And plus, you get to meet so many more business owners. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, So I haven't been in New York as much, so I have not been on television quite as much this year. Um, But I do love it. And, you know, I probably, at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, other than speaking, it's my second favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I also am in, in the point stage in my career that um you know i sort of like being at home too so um i don't know that i'm going to be doing as much of that just because even though i have an apartment in new york it's um new york is a fast-paced city and i love it um but i'm not sure i'm going to be spending quite as much time there so i don't know that i'll have as much of a presence um on television as i have had in the past what what is it about small business that that is so intriguing to you I think it's intriguing because, as I said, I I put it this way when I was young. I always liked figuring out ways to make money. But I know that there are so many unmet opportunities in the marketplace and ways to make money. For example, I just read the coolest story the other day about a guy who is now making about $1,000 a week as a placeholder standing in line for people. Wow. Now, think about it. You've got busy people who maybe want tickets to something or want the newest, latest gadget for their kid. They don't have time to go stand in line for a day or two waiting for this thing. You can pay this guy. He will go stand in line for you. He'll get you whatever you want. And voila, he's made a whole little business out of this. He's now starting to recruit his friends to do it and, you know, adding on and paying them, and then he gets the the profit margin brilliant idea yeah i mean there's so many little things like that out there for people to make money and i get really frustrated when i talk to people who have been unemployed for a long period of time they're not all they're doing is sending out resumes they're not hustling they're not looking for other ways to make money you know honestly if i had to and i needed the income i would go back to waiting tables like i did when i was 15 years old I would find something to do to make money. There's always a way to make money in this country, and that's what makes it great. That's great. That, that's a great last bit of advice to leave our listeners with, Susan. We're, we're just about out of time. Um, I'd love for you to give your contact information if someone would like to get in touch with you, um, specifically about speaking at an event. Sure. Um, they can just email me at susan at susansolovic.com. Go to my website. Um, if you subscribe to my, I, have, I do daily tips. I also have a weekly newsletter. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have you there. It's all free. And, of course, follow me on Twitter. It's Susan Solovic, my handle. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash Susan Solovic. So I would just love to stay connected. And if you have questions or if you need a great speaker, you know, keep me in mind. We will. And we'll be looking for your for that new um, that new small business website. I think that'll be great. Great. I appreciate that, Sue. Thanks, Susan. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Bye bye now. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out to my website at womentowatch.net with the number two. Thanks so much. Have a good week.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.